the title of the series is called The Real Thing. The Real Thing. And um, uh, I, I'll tell you where this uh, sermon idea came from. I was praying the other morning um, in my house early in the morning before the family got up. And I, sometimes, um, or, or large portions of my prayer time, uh, I'll stop praying about what I'm praying about and I'll start praying for you guys. And uh, in this moment, I started saying, God, the people in our church, they don't want just church as usual. They're, they're done with church as usual. They've been to hundreds and hundreds of services. They've been to, they've been to churches, uh, some of them their entire life. So how many of you have been going to church before you were born? Come on. Like you were in your mother's womb, right? <laughs> You're in your mother's womb here in Amazing Grace. And, and so I was telling the Lord, they're done with it. They're done with it. They, they want something real. And it was right there at that moment where it just kind of, you know, I just, uh, uh, this series was birthed. And just so we're all on the, same, uh, on the same page, the real thing is a God who is personal and powerful. Personal and powerful. And what do I mean by, by powerful? That means God actually does something in your life. You know, it's one thing to believe in God, but you actually need him to do something in your life. It's like when your power gets shut off because you didn't pay the bill. That's when you need God to actually do something. It, you need him to actually do something. If you have a, a child that's, you know, in a, in a tough season, in a tough place, you need him to do something, right? I need him to do something. I need you. I, I, I love that you have planets hanging in the balance. That's incredibly cool, but I need you to help me with my light bill, right? I need you to help me with my boss. I, I need you to help me with my wife. I, I need you to help me listen. You know, us guys, we've been told a billion times that when a woman has a problem, don't fix it, listen. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm just like... Every time, Allie's like, will you stop trying to fix it? I'm like, then why are you telling me? Why? We want God to do something. And uh, I, I just feel like we're, we're craving that. And there's a large portion, maybe some of us in this room, but a large portion of, of, of the Western world and maybe even the entire globe for that matter, um, we, we've been to enough programs and enough services. You guys all know it's fast songs, then slow songs then offering, then announcements, then preaching, right? Fast songs, slow songs, announcements, offering, preaching. We all know the drill, right? Sometimes, you, you know, uh, different churches do it different ways. Um, you know, in the woodlands, we do one thing the same. All of us pastors do this one thing the same. We're all bald, every one of us. <laughs> every single one of us is bald. Um, but uh, just take my word for it. Don't go shopping. Um, the... the, the <laughs> Uh, the, the reality is, is we, we know church, we understand church, we've been going to church for years, we understand the program, but there's some of us in this room, we have experienced services where God interrupted the service. Amen. God interrupted the service and all of a sudden somebody in the room experiences a healing in their body. Uh, where, where all of a sudden a husband and a wife that, you know, want to grab each other by the throat, end up hugging each other and holding each other before the service is over. I don't know if you've ever been in a service like this. I know I have. But, you know, it's during a, it's during a worship service where um, the pastor comes up and uh, he says, you know, it's been an hour and a half or it's been an hour and 15 minutes. You're, you're dismissed. You, you're free to go. And nobody leaves. 
because you can just feel the presence of God. Yeah. And, and what I believe is I believe that people are craving that. They're, they're, you're, you know, I, I know the reality. Uh, you're listening to this sermon that, I, that I've prepared for you today, but you've heard enough sermons. You've heard enough. Uh, you, you want to experience the presence of God in your life it, because you've heard enough sermons. You want something real. Um, you know, uh, sometimes we go through the process of, of faking it, faking something real. Um, you know, uh, the, the, my friends that I had stand, back, stand up back there, Chris and Kristen, the way I know them is... Um, our kids play for this, or our sons play for the same football team, a little eight-year-old league. And uh, the coach came up to me and said, hey, will you run the clock, run the, the scoreboard clock? And he's like, do you, know how, do you know how to do that? And I'm like, well, the truth of the matter is, is I don't. But I was a little bit like, my ego was shot because it's like, you don't know how to run a clock? I'm like, I know how to run a clock. Give it to me, man. It's like this remote control. It's like it's a clock. A clock. A clock. Give me the clock. Give it to me. I can run a clock. And so I take the clock and, and, and the referee walks up to me and goes, okay, do you know what you're doing? I was like, it's a clock. It's a clock. He goes, he, could, he had this sixth sense that he was looking at me. He was like, you don't know what you're doing. And I was like, I know what I'm doing. And so I started telling him that I know what I'm doing, and he wasn't even asking anymore. I was like, I know what I'm doing. And so he goes, all right, look, just remember this. When I go like this, keep it running. When I go like this, stop it. I'm like, whatever, man. Just blow the whistle. Or do whatever you do. You worry about your zebra shirt. I got the clock. I got the clock. I'm telling you, within like three minutes parents on both sides start the clock start the clock and I'm like leave me alone leave me alone everybody leave me alone start the clock stop the clock start the clock stop the two more minutes the referee's looking at me going I was like, but he went like this, which is, I'm, I'm faking the whole thing. I walk off the field, I'm like, Allie, I will never, ever, ever do the clock again, <laughs> ever. Don't even say clock in our household. Don't ever even, don't even say clock. You go through the process of faking things a, a lot. You know, uh, there's uh, the, the Civil War that took back, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but every year there's a Civil War reenactment where... Uh, people get together and they actually dress up. They weren't even alive when the Civil War took place. But they dress up and they reenact the Civil War because it was such a, a, a monumental uh, season of our country. And they reenact it. They dress up, they get guns, the crowd comes out, they take pictures. And they reenact this significant moment. They want to go back in time and, and hang on to it. Uh, they want to kind of, they're faking it, they know they're faking it, but it just feels good to go back to that season of our country and just work their way through that afternoon and just kind of have this hiatus of faking it, but it's, at least it's a time out from reality. What I've realized is that many of us, that our relationship with the Lord is not as close as what it once was. Or maybe it's not as close as we wish it was. We kind of go through the motions 
We're not intentionally trying to fake it because we're not trying, we don't want to be that person. But we're going through the motions of just trying to, trying to go back to something that was once real. Um, oftentimes, the, the hardest part of, of being a pastor is when I meet people and they don't know uh, that if they were to get laser focused and to pursue God with their whole heart, they don't know that their life could drastically be different. You know, I, I look at, um, I look at uh, uh, certain families and marriages and kids and financial situations. And, and when I'm talking to them, I go, oh, man, you're carrying this burden by yourself. You're carrying it by yourself. You're doing the best you can to fix it, but you're carrying it by yourself. They don't know the difference between care, what the difference could be. What it could be when the Lord says, my burden is light. Carry my burden. It's just worshiping me and staying focused on me. Let me carry your burdens. They don't know the difference between the two. And, and a lot of times when you don't know the difference between the two, you don't pursue passionately because you don't know what's available. Um, you know, just for fun, let's just take a commercial time out and figure out who here thinks that they could know the difference between uh, a Coke and a Pepsi. Anyone here? Anyone think they know the Coke between a Coke and a Pepsi? Uh, Andrew Brune, why don't you come on over here? Come on, Andrew. Uh, he's uh, he, he's uh, a good friend of mine, or he used to be up before this service. <laughs> um, we've got uh, we got Pepsi here. We've got Coke here. And uh, I just want you, Andrew, to, uh, to figure out which one it is. He's one of the coaches on my kids' football team. I guess my son's not getting any playing time anymore. But <laughs> All right. Let's see how much confidence we have in Andrew. Raise your hand if you think he's going to figure it out. Go ahead. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you think uh, this is going to be a bad moment for you. You're not going to get it. <laughs> All right. The crowd believes in you, sir. All right, I want you to try um, this one first. Try this one. Now, which one's the Coke? You got it, my friend. That's what I'm talking about. Boom! The guy in the first service didn't get it. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a talent, to not just Coke, I mean, my goodness, but it's a, it's a sweet ability to be able to taste something, feel something, know something, and know the difference, to know the difference. And, and I'm going to share with you, when you're walking with the Lord, and you're talking with God, and you're feeling God in your heart, you know when you're not. That's right. You know when you're not. You, when, when you experience a church service and you feel the presence of God and then you walk into another church years later, you can walk in and if you've felt it once, you can always feel it. Yeah. Nobody can fake you out. You know, you can show up and, and tell whether or not a preacher is for real in a nanosecond. You've seen real ones, you've seen fake ones. You can show up, you're real you're fake. You can and raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. In a nanosecond, you can walk in and go, I feel the presence of God. I can't feel the presence of God. Nobody needs to tell you. Nobody needs to convince you. You've experienced the real thing before. And in the heart of this message, the heart of this series is I really believe that I'm surrounded with people. I'm living life with people here in this room that are so tired. You're so tired, you're exhausted of, of dealing with the, the fake religion church stuff. You're, you're done with it. You're, you're done with it. 
And, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I know the senior pastors in this area. I know them pretty well, most of them well. They're all good preachers. They're all good singers. They all have great bands. It, it's going to come back down to your personal relationship with God because there's no one sermon. There's no one preacher out there, one song out there that's all of a sudden going to change everything for you. It's going to come right back down to your personal pursuit. It's going to come right back down to how bad do you want it? Or do you want to just continue with the fake stuff? If you like Pepsi, I'm really sorry. Really sorry. Really sorry. There's a a guy... um, uh, uh, named um, Daniel. Um, this guy was, uh, he was a slave. And uh, the Babylonians uh, captured him and his friends. Uh, his friends were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And uh, Daniel had reached a place in his life, and so it had his friends, where they just like, you know, I am going to pursue God with laser focus and watch everything else fall into place. Um, If you're taking notes today, write this down. There's an acronym. I wish I would have told the tech team, but uh, I didn't. I didn't. didn't. Write this down. Pray. P-R-A-Y. It's an acronym for prayer. It will help you when you're praying in your car. Some of you will pray in your car. Uh, Some of you will pray in the mornings. Some of you will pray in the afternoons. It will help you know what to pray about because P represents praise. So you just start off telling God how awesome he is. You just start off telling God, thank you for my kids. Thank you for my car. Thank you for that I'm not in the hospital today. And the Holy Spirit will begin to help you and bring things to your mind. And then the next letter in pray is, um, sorry, I just, but my mind just went blank. Um, repent. Thank you. You would remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My wife was like, it's repent, honey. <laughs> Love you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's repent. <laughs> I think my acronym is pray. <laughs> I got a few R's in there. Um, But uh, to repent, just to begin to repent for everything that comes to your mind. Just repent for everything that comes to your mind. And then the next one is ask. Whatever it is that you need God to do, you begin to ask him for it. And, And just ask. And there's no limits. There's no boundaries. You just begin to ask him. And then the very last one is why, which stands for yield. At the end of all, at the end of your prayer, you just tell God, Lord, I know you're smarter than me. I know that what you want for me is better than what I want for me. Lord, I just want you to know I'm at your will. I'm at your disposal. And if you go through that acronym, if you go through that spectrum, and you don't time yourself, some of you may end up on one particular day, the R category, the repent category, may go 15 minutes longer than usual. And you'll find other categories are shorter or longer. But you just pray your way through it. Daniel was a man who decided, I am going to pray, and I'm going to pray with all my heart, with all my passion. And and I have to have have God being real in my life. Watch this. In Daniel chapter 6, 
verse 3, it reads like this. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators. You see, there was these administrators. There were these, these people that, that stood over him and ruled over him with a whip. And they, he was just, a, he was just a, a, um, a slave in their eyes. But the, 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 he, they saw that the exceptional qualities uh, that the king planned. Oh, they saw his exceptional qualities and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. A slave being over the whole kingdom because of his exceptional qualities. Watch this. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 20. It says, no matter what question the king asked or what problem he raised. These four, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knew ten times more. These young men would pray three times a day. This is where they were at in life. They had situations that they could not change. They had lost their family. They were pulled out of the home from their mothers and their fathers. They had situations that they could not change. If you're in a situation that you want to change so bad, but you cannot change it. I just want to encourage you. This is a, this is a sermon just for you. Daniel was sitting in a situation that he could not change, but he knew that there was one thing that nobody could stop him from doing, and that was praying. So he backs up and he says, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to pray passionately. I'm going to pray passionately. All these other things, I can't change them. Nobody enjoys being a slave. Nobody enjoys being beaten and told what to do. But one thing's for sure, he was not going to stop praying. And so he keeps on praying, he keeps on praying, and in the scripture say this, that, the, that his leaders, his rulers, they were confused. They didn't understand how in the world he could know 10 times more than them. They backed up and said, we have been educated by the wisest, the most brilliant. How in the world can you know 10 times more than us? He had 10 times more wisdom, 10 times more knowledge, even his health and his physical skills, his abilities. He was 10 times better than everybody else. This is what happens when the presence of God begins to lay his hand on people who refuse to stop praying. You know, it's an interesting thing whenever we back up and we say, God, I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to depend on you. You know, the Bible says this. That he is able to do more than we can ask, think, or imagine. He's able to do that. And the Bible also says this. That to anyone who believes. To anyone who believes. So it seems like when you take those scriptures and you put them together. The only thing holding God back is somebody's belief. Whether you believe it. You know, my father uh, is a, a pastor of a church in, in Humble. Uh, right next to the Humble High School. Uh, great church, phenomenal church. But when I was being raised, he wasn't a pastor, he was an evangelist. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's, it's a guy who just travels around the country and, and preaches at churches. I remember in particular, there was this one season where the calendar was light. So there wasn't a lot of churches that were looking for preachers to come in. And we were in Miami, Florida at the time. And there was a church in Baytown, Texas, right off Garth Road, it's called Peace Tabernacle. And um, the, the preacher said to my father, yeah, I'll, I'll bring you in. You can come preach for us on a Wednesday night. My dad was in Miami, Florida. Now, in those days, if you went to go preach for somebody, they'd give you an evangelist three or four hundred dollars. So my dad's in Miami. 
one night and um, he said, well, I'll take it. So he's going to drive from Miami, Florida, all the way to Baytown, Texas for one night for three or four hundred dollars. And, you know, that's you guys know how long of a drive that is. That's like a 16 hour drive. It's amazing. Maybe 20 hours early, 21 hours. I don't know. Um, but the way my dad thought it through was even after I pay for gas and even after I pay for food, I'll still have a couple hundred bucks. And that's more than what I have right now. And I need to feed my family. So he drove all the way to Baytown, and he was telling me this story. He goes, I'll never forget it, Frankie. I was on I-10. I was coming into Baytown. It was just a, a few cities before, and I saw this really nice hotel. And he goes, man, I sure would like to stay in that hotel. It was like a holiday inn. And uh, he goes, I'd like to stay in that hotel and have a steak dinner. And um, he goes, but logic kicked in. and said, I better just go to a Motel 6 like I always do and get a subway. He goes, and I felt the presence of God just tell me, you can go to the hotel and you can get a steak. I'll take care of you. Just, just, you can do it. And my father just said he started crying in the car. He knew God spoke to him, but his faith level wasn't there. So he went to the Motel 6 and he got a subway. He went and preached the next night for the church and the service went phenomenal. And the pastor came up to him and said, I'd like for you to preach again. And again, and again, and again. He stayed at that church for 11 weeks. In that process, he was able to send home more money than he had ever sent home. We were able to pay off our bills and, and, and catapult into a, just a, another level of life. And things were going really well for us. And my father always looks back and thought to himself, man, had I known that 24 hours later, everything was going to turn around for us, I would have went to the Holiday Inn and I would have got that steak dinner. <laughs> had I known... Here's the thing, friends. We don't know what God has for us. But I do know that I can promise you this. It's more than what you can imagine. It's more special than what you can imagine. Better than what you can imagine. And so here's Daniel. He's got this confidence. And so all of a sudden the rulers of, of, of Babylon said, we don't know how this guy is so smart. We don't know what he's doing. Um, but we do know this. The guy keeps on praying over and over and over again. And then they began to connect the dots and started realizing that all this has got to be coming as a result of prayer. And so they said, well, I know what we're going to do. Let's come up with a law that nobody is allowed to pray anymore. We got to stop this guy from praying. Well, at the end of the story, things worked out very well for him, even though he had to fight for his life. But I, I don't want to chase that rabbit because I've already chased 40 of them already. But at the end of the story, things work out very, very well for Daniel. But the whole point of this, this part of the message is this, that even the enemies of Daniel recognized that the tide turns when somebody prays. They don't want, hell does not want us praying. I've got three questions for us this morning. The first question is this. Are, are you willing to back up and to rest within yourself and draw the conclusion, draw the line in the sand to say this? What are you willing to do? If you really want a real relationship, a personal relationship, a powerful relationship with God, what are you willing to do? What are you willing to do? Are you willing, do you want it bad enough to be able to change your schedule, to rearrange your schedule to pursue God? Are you, are you willing to do it that bad? Do you want it that bad? Are you so sick of what you've been experiencing with church and your relationship with God? Are you so sick of it 
that you're willing to change your schedule over it. Are you willing to do that? You know, Jesus was preaching one time, and um, if you'd give me some, some poetic license here, he looked out there and, and he thought to himself, there's too many people here. Now, he's the only pastor in the world that looks out and says, there's too many people here. He looks out there and there's just a multitude of people. And the Bible says this, that there were some people following him just because he might do another fish fry. They were thinking, maybe he's going to feed us again. So they kept on following him because they wanted to get fed again. See, people follow Jesus for different reasons. They just want to get blessed sometimes. Sometimes the only time they pray is when they want a blessing. But Jesus was looking out there and he's like, wait a minute here. Hold on. Hold on. I... Hold on a second. This place, it's, there's too many people here. And so now he's going to thin out the crowd. He's like, hold on a second. Let's just get down to the bottom. And he backs up and he says these exact words in Proverbs, um, uh, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 25. It reads like this. It is foolish and rash to make a promise before the Lord without counting the cost. And he be, Jesus actually began to say, some of you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but it's not real on the inside. We got to count the cost. We got to back up and realize that if you want a relationship with God, if you want a relationship with God, it is going to cost something. It is going to require you backing up and re-looking at your schedule and saying, am I going to devote a part of my day to praying? Let me just say this. You will always smirk at church. <laughs> you may not do it out loud, but you'll feel it. You'll always look at pastors and preachers and go, oh, that's good. You know, every city needs a library and a fire station and a church. It's good for the community. You'll always smirk at it. You'll never really take it serious until you realize how powerful it can be through prayer. And if you're not praying, you'll be smirking. You'll be disappointed. You'll think that it's a joke. You, you, you won't take it serious. But when you do start praying, you'll begin to start realizing, oh my goodness, I can't believe I lived so long with the fake thing. I can't believe I lived so long. I didn't realize how real and how awesome it could be. But do you want it bad enough to do something different? To change your schedule? Do you want it that bad? Do you want it that bad? You know, my, my, my brother just recently, not this one, uh, another one, lost 50 pounds within the last like five or six months. 50 pounds, that's a person. <laughs> not a tall person, but a person. <laughs> a person. And I asked him, I was like, what did you do? He said, I just decided I wanted to lose weight more than I wanted the Twinkie. He goes, I like Twinkies. I'm like, you need to rethink Twinkies. You know you can put Twinkies on a driveway and leave it there for like 20 years and it still looks the same? That's not normal. <laughs> like, eat something else. He's like, I just realized I wanted it more. Do you want a relationship with God that is personal, that is powerful? When you pray, the needle actually moves. Do you want it bad enough to change your schedule? Because if we don't want it bad enough to change our schedule then you have to ask yourself, how bad do you really want it? It is so easy to look at God and go, what have you done for me lately? It is so easy to get a basket of rocks and throw it at the church and go, it's a bunch of fakes. Hey, 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 that is easy. 
It's a piece of cake, but how bad do you want it? Because heaven is a single file line. You don't get to point at anybody. You don't get to look at God and you weren't there for me. No, 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 no. He's closer than a brother. How bad do you want it? Now, if you're looking for a church where the church is, the pastor is going to come up here and tell you three poems and a story and we're going to all get the fuzzy feeling that this is the wrong church. Because here's the reality. I know if I come tell you three poems and a story and we get a little fuzzy feeling in this, our stomach on Sunday, ooh, Monday comes. Monday is warfare day. Tuesday's coming. Wednesday's coming. Thursday's coming. I want you to walk out of here with some weapons. I want, I want you to walk into your place of work like, yeah, 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 yeah. I already prayed about this. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, you know, watch me whip. Watch me nano. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. I just did that. I, yeah, I just. Number two. <laughs> Number one is, what are you willing to do? Number two is, what are you willing to give up? You know, there's a word in the Bible that um, our Western world does not like. And, and it's the word holy. You know what holy means? Holy means separate. And, and Jesus tells us, I want you to be separate. I want you to be different. I want you to be different from the world. Uh, you know when your son or daughter comes home and, and, and they're talking like kids from school and you're like, where'd you learn that? What's wrong with you? You didn't learn that here. Where you been? No, you, you know, your, your last name isn't Jones. You, you, you talk like we talk. Now pull your pants up. Right? Right? I, I don't know what's gotten into our minds, but at, when we become adults, that principle still applies. Somebody needs to look at us as adults and say, who you been hanging out with? Who you been talking to? It's still the same, right? It's still the same. It's interesting because when I was talking about the kids, everybody's like, yeah! Talk about us. Like, yeah, but that's the reality. There's something called holy that means to be separate. In other words, Jesus' kind, Jesus' culture, the culture of God, the culture of God, the culture of the Bible. It's a certain way. We need to be that. And, and holiness, just so we all have the same definition, is to consecrate yourself, to separate yourself and say, I'm doing the best I can to pursue separation, to pursue holiness. And, and if you're taking notes, I don't have this on the screen, but the sin inside of us, the, the sin that is inside of you, the sin that is inside of me that you're most defensive about is the one that's most destructive. Let me say it this way. The sin that is most destructive in your life is the one that you're always most defensive about. See, I can talk about a hundred different sins and you don't care about them. Yeah, preach your lights out. Preach till you're blue in the face. Go ahead, preach, preach, preach. But when I talk about the one that's in your life, then you get a little defensive. And I don't know what sin that is. I'm just saying the one that is most destructive, the one that's going to do the most damage to your relationship with God because you can't pursue the same, the real thing with God and carry this little piece inside of you and say, God, you're just going to have to get used to it. No, 
That's not how he works. He makes the rules. He makes the rules. When I walk, when I walk on the airplane and I've got like an AK-47 on my back and I'm like, yeah, I want to fly to Miami, Florida and I want to bring my AK-47. That's just the way it's going to go. They go, no, it's not the way it's going to go. Get off the plane. No, I'm coming on the plane. You're not coming on this. Isn't your plane? You didn't make the rules. You want to fly? Get rid of that. Take it out of your life. Leave it at home. And it's the same thing with God. You want to fly? You want the real thing? The Holy Spirit will breathe into you. He'll say, hey, this right here has got to go. It's got to go. It's got to come out. It's got to come out. It's got to stop. You got to change it. It's got to go. You know what's so awesome about my job? Is I don't have to stand up here and identify a particular sin. Because the Bible says this. That he writes his laws on your hearts. And so all throughout the room right now, there's certain things coming to your mind and certain things that's coming to your heart that's not coming to the person next to you. And I just want to let you know that if you're defensive about that, that's the one thing that's causing the most destruction. That's the one thing. That's the one thing that's keeping you from experiencing everything you could. You know, there's, there's that holiness factor. Then there's the investing factor. How much are you willing to invest, to give up, to invest, to let go of? Um, I, 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 um, I read, you guys can go home and YouTube it. The guy's name is Young Goo Park. Um, he, he said that he went to heaven. Now, a lot of people say they go to heaven. And I just have to be honest with you. I hope I don't offend you. I don't believe a lot of them. That, that's just me. Okay, um, so I hope that doesn't offend you. A lot of people say they go to heaven. I'm just like, I'm not buying it. Some people say they go to heaven, and I do believe them. That's just me. I'm not God. I'm not the one that determines who's lying and who's not lying. It's just a personal thing. I usually don't even say it out loud. I just keep it to myself. This guy, I believe him, and this is why. He says he went to heaven, and God showed him different houses that have been prepared, different mansions that have been prepared for different people. And he goes, I saw some houses that were as high as the Empire State's building. It was beautiful. It was unbelievable. He goes, and then I saw my house. And he goes, it looked like a chicken coop. And he goes, I was so, he goes, I, I was just happy to be in heaven. But my house looked like a chicken coop. And he began to talk about how you go to heaven by what you believe. Just believing in Jesus Christ gets you to heaven. But rewards are what you do on the earth. That's right. So you don't get to heaven by actions because you get to heaven by believing in Jesus Christ. You can't earn a gift. But rewards, now that's something separate. And so this is why I believe him. When he came back to earth, he liquidated everything. He sold all of his cars. He got rid of all of his clothes. He sold everything. And he's, he's, he's preaching this message. It was actually a preacher that experienced it. He goes, I'm a preacher and my house was a chicken coop. He goes, it realized, I realized I sold everything, liquidated everything. And he goes, and what I realized when I was in heaven, that everything I did for the kingdom, every time I personally witnessed to somebody, every time I gave in the offering, every single time I did something selfless, every time I prayed, every time I worshipped, every time I did something for the kingdom, 
immediately materials were sent to heaven. And the angel that was giving them a tour said, Sir, you didn't send us any materials. He came down and sold everything. When somebody comes down and sells everything, I start believing them. I, I think that all of us, if God would just back up and say, how serious are we taking this thing? And, and what are we willing to do, number one, to get it? What, number two, what are we willing to give up? And then here's the big one, number three. How long are you willing to pursue? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, oftentimes when things in our life don't happen immediately, the first thing to go is God. The first thing to go is church. One bad thing. If somebody can walk from the parking lot to the sanctuary and no greeters shake their hand, that place was rude. Church is a bunch of fake. Okay. Hey. How long can you pursue God? How long can you keep on praying without getting an answer? How long can you stay faithful? How long can you keep on pursuing God? You know, David, when he became king, he recognized that the Ark of the Covenant was not in the city. It wasn't in Israel. It wasn't in the city of David. And he said, I want that Ark of the Covenant. It's like this box. He goes, I want that box. I want the Ark of the Covenant to be in the city of David. If I'm going to be here, I want the presence of God to be here. They went to go get it. They picked it up. They were carrying it. They were doing it all wrong. I'm not going to go into the details. The cart falls over. A guy tries to brace it. He dies. He falls over. David went into a depression because he's saying, I needed you. I needed you. I made a decision. I made an executive decision and somebody lost their life over it. I needed you. And what I was trying to do was a good thing. It wasn't like I was trying to do a bad thing. I was trying to do a good thing and you weren't with me. He went into a depression for three months. And he backs up and he says, wait a minute here. I got to get myself together. I got to get myself together. I got to get my head together here. I want the presence of God in this city. I want the presence of God in my house. I want the presence of God with my family. So he gets on his knees and he keeps on praying and he keeps on praying. And then he realizes this, we did it wrong. If we want the presence of God to come over here, he goes, this is what we're going to do. Every time we pick up that, we pick up the, the Ark of the Covenant, it was on sticks. When we're walking, we're going to go one, two, three, four, five, six. Everybody stop! And they made a sacrifice to the Lord. I started studying the sacrifice. They sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Now I went to Israel to hear, uh, just to go on a tour. And they have this area where they did sacrifices and there was this trench that was right on top of or around this altar. And the lady that was doing the tour said, you don't realize how much blood comes out of a bull. And when you're sacrificing multiple animals, I don't mean to be gross, but there's a lot of blood. That blood had to go somewhere. And I started thinking, how long did it take to sacrifice all these bulls? How long did it take all these fatted calves? And so they must have arrived with all the bulls, right? So they're carrying all these bulls along with them. They got herders 
on horses or whatever. I don't know how they're keeping them all together, but they got all these bulls together. Then they got all the fattest calves together. And, and you know, some people are like, David, do we really need all this stuff? Can we do it once at the beginning, once at the end? Do we have to do it every time we go one, two, three, four, five, six? And I believe that David said, I've tried it every other way. We can't do it unless we're worshiping with our whole heart. I've tried it. I've tried it. I just want to say this with you. Haven't we tried everything else? Haven't we tried everything else? Haven't we? Haven't we gone to a million churches and a million sermons and a million song services? Haven't we tried it all? Haven't we tried to get our marriage better? Haven't we tried to get our finances better? Haven't we tried everything else? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to give up? And how long are you willing to do it? If you're only willing to do it on Sundays and for 24-hour windows, I just want to say, don't put your expectations too high. Because there's something called steadfastness. Something called faithfulness that says this, if you're going to take my house, if you're going to take my job, if you can take whatever you want, I will never, ever stop worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I will never stop. I will never stop. I will never stop. I will never stop. There's something called steadfastness. And I just want to let you know, hell does not know what to do with people who won't shut up. Doesn't know what to do. Here's the last thing I want to do. On Wednesday nights, we have service. I, I, I preach 90% of the time. I did this last Wednesday. I'm just going to do it again. Let's just say I like to work out hypothetically. All right, so I'm doing push-ups. And I tell you that I do push-ups all the time. That I work out all the time. Now, if you come up to me and test me to find out if what I'm saying is true, you could say, when do you work out? I can answer that question. You could say, when you do work out, what do you do? I could say, well, I do chest and tries on one day. I do buys and back on another day. I do legs. And I do. Cr- I can tell you to the T. If you ask me if I work out, I can answer the questions. Simple questions. It's not complex. It's simple. When? I go to 24-hour fitness. I can tell you where. I can tell you what machines are. I can, these are simple questions. If you say, and if I say, that we pray, then we ought to be able to ask each other simple questions. When do you pray? Where do you pray? When you do pray, do you follow like a, a mental category list? How do you pray? Do you pray in the morning? Do you pray in the afternoon? If we can't answer those questions, that's like me saying I work out, and you say, well, where do you work out? Well, all the time. Is it like if you ever ask somebody, do you pray? And they go, yeah, where, when? All the time. Okay. How bad do we want it? 